The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, in the 8th verse, we read this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The Lord being my helper tonight, I want to preach to you about Abraham's cities. Abraham's cities. Now, at the outset, you may look at me and say, Brother Chris, that's really a misnomer. That's not a, a proper topic because Abraham didn't build any cities. And that's true. He didn't build any cities. As a matter of fact, we read and just read here that he, he dwelt in tabernacles. And that's literally tents, movable, um, nomadic uh, type dwellings that allowed him to move from place to place. He never put down roots. You don't see a city called Abraham anywhere. You don't read about it in the, in the history books because there doesn't want, there's not one that exists. But some, I think four or five years ago, I preached to you about Abraham's tents. And that sounds more appropriate, doesn't it? Because that's what he did. He pitched his tent in various places. But tonight, I do want to preach to you about the cities of Abraham and not the cities he founded or the cities he built, but some three cities in particular that played a, a huge part, a big role in the life and sojourning of Abraham. You see, Abraham didn't start out as the friend of God. We know him today as the father of the faithful, as the capital F, friend of God. He was called that in the word of God. He was, we know him as a faithful servant of God, of Jehovah God in the Old Testament. And, and in fact, we need to take his example of faithfulness to our, to our own breasts and use, use that in our own lives because he was faithful in so many areas. But he didn't start out that way. And that's what I want to talk to you about first of all. I want to talk to you about the city. There was a city that was behind Abraham, uh, as, as we read about him here in the book of Hebrews. There, there was a city behind him. It was a city called Ur of the Chaldees. And you'll notice in verse 8 here, it says that he was called to go out of this city. He was called away from this city. In Genesis chapter 12, in verse 1, we read about what God did with Abraham and about his calling. In verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12, it says, The Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And he goes on to talk about the blessings of, of doing this. And in verse 4, it says, So Abram departed. In other words, God said, Go out, and Abram left. He went out. He said, God said, I want you to get out of the country that you've known all of your life, the country that you grew up in, the country of your heritage where your family lives, and everything that's familiar to you. And I want you to leave that and go to another place. 
And, and essentially what he's saying is, this city that's behind you, I want you to forget it. I want you to put it behind you. I want you to forget it. This was a place, by the way, called Ur of the Chaldees. It's in the Chaldee Mountains over in the Middle East. It was, in the, it was a Sumerian-type city. It was a culture over there that you read about in, in your uh, history books, about to be in the cradle of civilization. And, and in Abraham's day, when he was still called Abram, by the way, uh, Ur of the Chaldees was one of the main trade cities uh, in that area. It was one of the places where uh, people from India, people from Afghanistan, people from all over the Middle East and the Near East, and even some, no doubt, from, from Europe and, and, and Asia came in to, uh, to do trade there. And in the middle of this city, in the middle of this place, there was, there was this huge uh, stone ziggurat. And a ziggurat is just, uh, it's like a pyramid, okay? But it's, uh, it's not exactly a pyramid like in the Egyptians built. But it's, it's, a, it's a stone temple dedicated to pagan worship. It, it, it was, in essence, you would go to this city, and as soon as you saw the city on the horizon, you could see this stone temple like a pyramid rising high into the air. And you knew that you were not going to a place that was filled with Jewish people who were, who were worshiping God according to the law, but that you were going to a place of pagan worship. Now, now, before you start jumping on me saying, well, there weren't any Jewish people this time, I know that, I get that. I'm just using that as an example uh, because, you know, there was a time when after Moses came along and ultimately David and Solomon built the temple, you knew where you were in Jerusalem, you could see the temple and you knew what they stood for. But in the same sense, this temple to pagan worship stood out among the ancient Near East. And in fact, uh, just, we don't, we're not told much about Ur in the, in the homeland of Abraham in Genesis chapter 11, or really anywhere in Genesis. But if you'll turn with me over to the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, in the 24th chapter, uh, of course, uh, there's a statement in the 24th chapter that's often misunderstood and misapplied. A uh, very famous statement, uh, choose you this day whom you will serve, okay? I, I'm not, I don't have time tonight to preach about that and to put it, but I am going to put it in its proper context. Let me just say this. This is not a statement telling people that they need to make a choice, a decision for God, that, that, that it's up to them in order as to whether they go to heaven. That's not what it's talking about because the context of this is very simple. Joshua is giving the people of, of, uh, of Israel here a little history lesson about where they came from. And, and the first thing Joshua says in chapter 24, after he's gathered them together, in verse 2, he said, Thus saith the, the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. In other words, the place where they were, Ur of the Chaldees, okay? That place was a pagan place. It was a land of pagan worship. He says, And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. In other words, he was in Ur. 
And I called him out of Ur because that was a pagan land. They had this pagan worship going on there. And ultimately, I brought him to the land of Canaan. And that's the, res the result of all that is that you and I are here today. That's what Joshua was saying. And by the way, just to complete the picture, if you look down with me in verse 14, after he goes through all of this about the... Uh, uh, the various uh, uh, the various pagan worship that it, uh, types of pagan worship that it was going on in the land of Canaan, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, Ur of the Chaldees. He finally says in verse fourteen, "Now therefore fear the Lord, that is Jehovah God, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood." That's a reference directly to to Abraham and and, and Ur of the Chaldees. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And now here's the famous statement and this is the proper context. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. In other words, if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to serve God, Jehovah God, then choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, the choice here is not between giving your heart to God or not. <laughs> That's not the choice here. The choice is, is, is simple and clear. He says, look, there's all this pantheon of gods out there among the pagan worship of the day. In fact, you could go all the way back to Ur of the Chaldees, to Abraham and his parents and his ancestors on the other side of the flood. And if you're not going to serve God, you might as well pick any of these. They're just six of one, half a dozen of the other. He said, if you're not going to serve Jehovah God, then you might as well serve the gods that Abram served in Ur. You might as well serve the gods of the Amorites or the Hizzites or, the, or those other Canaanites out there. <laughs> But he said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve Jehovah God. See, that's the context there. But the point of all this is that the place that was behind, the city that was behind Abraham was a pagan city. It was a land without any light, uh, at least any true light. They, they may have had, and they did, had the, as, as all children of God do who've been born again, had the word of God written in their hearts. But the knowledge of what that was had escaped them. They had no light there. There was a city behind Abraham called Ur of the Chaldees, a pagan city with no light. And you know, in, back in Hebrews chapter 11, in the continuing discussion here of Abraham, the, God inspires the writer to write this in verse 15. Truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, if Abraham had kept his mind in the past on that city that was behind him, and that's all he thought about, and that's all he stewed over, he, he longed for, if he kept his mind on that country from whence he had come, then he might have just gone back to that same country. If he'd kept his mind constantly on the past, on the city behind him, he'd have been tempted to go back there. So you know what Abraham had to do and what God is telling us we need to do? Forget it. <laughs> the city that's behind us, the city that is in our past, the pagan cities of this world, forget it. 
Don't keep your mind on that. You know, I believe this is a type to us or sort of a, uh, helps us to understand the new birth. Because the city that we came from, the place where we were before we were born again, according to, uh, according to Scripture, was a place that was only conducive to pagan worship. You know, what, he, what does he tell us in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14? He says, the natural man, the natural man, that means the man who's only been born in nature. He's not been born again. He's only been born in nature. He's had a natural birth, but he's had no new birth, no spiritual birth. And that natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. And not only will he not receive them, it goes on to say, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. In John, the fifth chapter, I believe it is, about the 39th verse or 40th verse, uh, he's talk, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees there, and he makes this statement. He says, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. You know how many people believe that you can achieve eternal life through learning and studying the scriptures? That's what the Pharisees thought in that day. In fact, the Pharisees really didn't care about keeping the scriptures. <laughs> they said, just study them and learn about them. Some of the other sects in that day, they, they actually promoted uh, uh, godly living, but, uh, but not the Pharisees. They said, you just got to study them, and that's how you'll get to heaven. <laughs> he said, search the scriptures. You think in them you have eternal life, but you know what they are? They are they that testify of me. And then he goes on to indict them, not to invite them. Understand, what I'm about to quote to you is not an invitation, it's an indictment. He said, and ye will not come unto me, but ye might have eternal life. I know, and I'm not, I'm not casting stones at anybody because I've been there myself, but I know primarily in the religious world that's taught as an invitation. Oh, if you will just come to him, he'll give you eternal life. He goes on in the sixth chapter and says, no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. He said, he said there's no ability within you. That's, you know, that's where you have, to you have to marry Scripture to Scripture. You have to understand the Word of God. You have to rightly divide it. Notice that that is not an invitation. An invitation would be, oh, if you'll just come to me, I will give you eternal life. That's not what he's doing. There's a difference in an invitation and an indictment. He's indicting their human nature there. He says, you will not come unto me. I often get, and I've had this conversation not too long ago with someone about the great, wonderful doctrines of the sovereignty of God and salvation. Sovereign grace. The doctrine of election. The doctrine of, uh, uh, that God chose his people in Christ before the foundation of the world and that he predestinated them to be conformed to the image of his son Jesus at the end of times. Isn't that a glorious doctrine? But people get upset about it. They get agitated because they don't understand it. They, they, they get twisted up on it, if you will. And one thing that inevitably that I will get, and you will too if you ever talk to people about it, somebody will come up and say, well, what about the person? What about the person who wants to go to heaven so bad uh, but they weren't chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, and therefore they can't. That person does not exist. The person who has a desire for Christ, a sincere love of God, and a sincere desire to be in heaven, that person, that's the strongest evidence I know that he is a child of God. 
That's the strongest evidence I know that he has been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. You know, that's the beauty of being a believer. Did you know that? that, that listen, let's don't sell believing short. <laughs> Sometimes we get hung up on the fact that the Bible is, is clear that there are many children of God out there that, that don't believe like they should. There, there were those Jews in the 10th chapter of Romans that were struggling to go about and establish their own righteousness. They didn't believe in the righteousness of Christ, but they were children of God because they had a zeal of God. And a, non, a, a, a reprobate, someone who's not been born again, has no zeal of God. But let's don't get hung up on that to the point of saying it doesn't matter whether you believe or not. It absolutely matters. It matters to you. It's not going to get you to heaven. It's not going to keep you out of heaven if you don't believe. But praise God, it's going to help you to understand a little bit about heaven when you understand and believe what the Bible's taught here. <clears throat> See, this is a... I believe this is pointing us in some ways to the fact that there is a city behind all of us. There's a place behind all of us that is a pagan place, a place devoid of God, a place empty of light with no understanding of what it is that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, with no desire to serve Him. We see nothing to indicate in the Scriptures that Abraham had any desire to serve the true and living God until the true and living God had a desire for him and said, I want you to come out and go with me. See, you never notice how God's always the one that takes the initiative. But here, after, but think about this, after Abraham was called out, you know, that's what reminds us a little bit of Romans 8, 29 and 30. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Listen, more than, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. That's the new birth. That's being called out. We've been called out. Peter tells us that we have been called out of the darkness into his marvelous light in reference to the new birth. We were in darkness. We were in a place where nothing was there. God was not there for us. He was there, but we didn't know it. <laughs> you know, it's like all, it's like Brother Buddy's preached before. In order to understand the things like that, you've got to have a receiver to get it. If you, do you know there's cell phone and radio waves passing through this building right now? There, there's all kinds of uh, TV, probably, there's, there's a TV signal probably permeating this building right here. But, but it's not bothering us. You know why? Because we don't have a receiver to receive it. They're passing right through and we're ignoring it because we can't see it. We don't have a receiver to receive it. But if we had a receiver, I'll tell you this. I don't, I don't want let, to let you in on a little secret. We got Wi-Fi here now. But you don't have the ability to receive it because we're not giving out the password, okay? <laughs> so we don't want all everybody out there playing, you know, on Facebook while I'm here, unless you want to put a picture of me on Facebook. But anyway, uh, that's so. But but that we don't want all that. You see, you don't have a receiver to receive it. It's like that in the new birth. Until you have the new birth, until you're born again, you don't have a receiver to receive the things of the Spirit of God. But after you've been born again. After you have been called out of the darkness into his marvelous light, there's a place behind you that you need to forget about. There's a city behind you like the city of Ur of the Chaldees that is filled with nothing but pagan worship. There are temples there to pagan gods. There are, there, you say, oh, I, don't, I didn't have a temple to, or an altar to a pagan god. Well, would you, rather be, would you rather be fishing than in church? Would you rather be at a sports event than in church? 
That's, if, if it's something you put ahead of God, it's something you worship, you see. And back then, that's all you knew. So we need to move forward. The city behind Abraham, the city behind us, we need to forget about that city. But then as we continue reading about the life of Abraham, in verse 11, listen to this of, of Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> Through, I'm sorry, it's verse, uh, verse 8 of Hebrews chapter, verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 11. After he is called out, it says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. You know, there was a, there was a city beside Abraham. There was a city beside Abraham. You remember that? We read about it in Genesis, the 13th chapter. The city of Sodom. The city of Sodom. Look with me back over to Genesis, chapter 13. Look at, look at verse 10. And you remember the story here that, that, that Lot's herdsmen and, and Abraham's herdsmen got into a fuss. And, and Abraham, trusting God, went to Lot and said, You pick which way we go. If you go to the right hand, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left hand, I'll go to the right. And Lot evaluated the situation based on the circumstances and what he could see, as opposed to evaluating it according to faith in God. In verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan. Now, now you that are farmers out there particularly, you're going to, I mean, you've you got to agree with this. You've got to agree with Lot's assessment, just looking at it from a natural standpoint. Because listen to it, it was well watered everywhere. That's one of the keys to a successful garden, It's having the ability in, in a place that's dry to water it. And he looked down on that plain and he said, man, it's well watered. This is perfect for my, for my cattle. It's perfect for my crops or anything I might want to grow. It was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. There's a lot of preaching right there in that, in that verse. A lot of preaching about why you don't need to go down to Egypt in the first place. Egypt is always a type of the world. And if you remember back in chapter 12, Abraham took Lot and all of his family down into Egypt. And Lot brought some, some ideas out of Egypt that, that haunted him for the rest of his days. He looked at this plane. He said, man, that looks like Egypt to me. And it was enticing to Lot. And then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And it talks about them separating themselves. And Abraham, we're told in verse 12, dwelled in Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. This city that was beside Abraham, this place that Lot chose, was truly an enticing land. Oh, it looked good to the eyes. When Lot lifted up his eyes, he said, man, that's the place for me to be. I don't know about you, but uh, uh, it wasn't too much of an adjustment for me during this shutdown over the coronavirus. We kind of <laughs> we social distance out here in the country anyway, and, uh, and it wasn't too awful bad. But I understand uh, the, the problems that some people might have with isolation. And, and, and we're in a society that is so social in nature. And there's, you know, there was a time 100 years ago, say, maybe 50 years ago, where you didn't have all of the opportunities and all the options that you have today. But I'll tell you, beloved, there, you know, one of, the, one of the amazing things to me about the city of Las Vegas 
is that it's not the city itself, and our, our good friends out there will tell you there's two different Las Vegases. There's the normal Las Vegas out there where people live and work normally, and then there's the Strip, right? The Las Vegas Strip. And I got to tell you, every time I've gone out there to preach, I'm always, uh, I'm always amazed to, to, to come back from maybe our, our evening time of fellowship and Bible study that we always have, and we'll come down through there, and that Las Vegas Strip is lit up as if it were daytime. I'll never forget, I think I've told you all this, that in 2006, when uh, we took Mom and Dad out, uh, out west, we went in their RV, and we were pulling our van behind us, and I, I was going to be really smart, and I said, you know, uh, looks like our timing is going to be just right, because we're going to be going down into Las, we're going to stay in Las Vegas for a couple of nights, but, but we had timed it where we wouldn't get into the city of Las Vegas till 10.30 or 11 o'clock. And I said, that'll be perfect because rush hour will be over. Nobody will be out at that time. Well, boy, was I wrong. And did I forget about what's going on? Because we had, it took us about two hours to cross from one side of the interstate and go two blocks across the Las Vegas Strip to the place that we were staying. You know why? Because it was lit up like the 4th of July. There were tens of thousands of people there. That was prime time rush hour for them. And the, the enticement there is, is that if you're feeling lonesome, you're feeling alone, and you want, if I were by myself and said, I want to have human company, I could go out there at any time of the day or night, uh, preferably midnight or later, <laughs> and I could go out there to that place and the lights would be shining and flashing and there would be people and there would be all kinds of things. That's enticing to the flesh. That's enticing to the, to the natural man. There's a lot of things that are there to draw us. You know, I believe there were some things that were there to draw even Abraham towards Sodom. I believe that there was even a part of Abraham, no doubt. Just know, I, we don't read about this, and I think he was, he was strong about it, but he was a man. And there were probably things about that well-watered plain that enticed him as well. Did you know that Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4 tells us that we can be beguiled with enticing words? Did, did, we read elsewhere that we can be overthrown by the philosophies of this world. There are things to entice us. Don't, don't ever get so high and mighty that you think, oh, that stuff doesn't entice me. There's a part of you that entices there's a part of you that's always going to be in there. And the minute you forget about that and you, and you don't keep watch over that, that's the, that's the moment you're going to fall. What does he say? Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I heard Elder Armand Rich put it this way one time. He said that the old human nature is like a spring. He said you can put your foot on that spring and hold it down. And as long as your foot's on there, you're all right. But the minute you take your foot off, it pops right back up where it was. <laughs> You ever thought about that? That's the human nature. There was a city beside him. But we read over in Hebrews about the fact that, that he was a stranger in a strange land. That's how he saw himself. He, I believe that city there, Sodom, is a type of the world that we're in. I believe it's a type of the strange country that we're passing through. And even though we are enticed from time to time, like no doubt Abraham was, what should we do? We should avoid it. 
We should avoid it. We need to forget about that city behind us, and we need to avoid that city that's beside us. But that wasn't the only city in Abraham's life. There was another city, and we read about that city in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10. After he had been called out in verse 8 from the city that was behind him, and he had sojourned avoiding the city that was beside him, in verse 10, he looked for a city that was before him. Look at this. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You know the best way to forget about the city behind us and to avoid the city beside us is to pursue the city that's before us. That's the best way. If you're having problems, if you're having troubles in this life, if you're having struggles in this life, you know the thing that will help you the most in this world is to keep your eyes on the prize, as they say. Keep your eyes focused on the city that is before us. For, beloved, that is a heavenly city. It's not a man-made city. The foundations here, it has foundations, but its builder and maker is God. You know, a proper and constant view of heaven is that which will sustain us. It's the best antidote in troublesome times. I know these are troubled times. We got all kinds of things happening. We have disease. We have rioting. We have, we have uh, killing. We have trouble within our, uh, our government. We have trouble within our cities. We have trouble even out in our country. And yet, if I could, get, I could go on and on. And if I kept focusing upon that, I would, be, uh, I would ultimately just uh, stay at home and close the doors and not get out of bed. But you know what helps me to keep going? It's pursuing that city that's ahead of me. I've got something better waiting. And that's what, that's what Abraham did. You know, in times of trouble, God granted his servants often a better view of heaven. Isaiah chapter 6, what happened? He, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. In Ezekiel chapter 1, while he was sitting by the, uh, uh, by the side of the river Kibar, it said it came to pass in, the, in this particular time, as he, he said, as I was among the captives by the river of Kibar, that the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. When you're facing captivity, when you're facing tribulation, you know the best thing you can get is a vision of God. The heavens were open. In Daniel, Daniel was in the night visions. At night, he, and he saw in the night visions one like the Son of Man who came unto him in, in the clouds of heaven. And the Ancient of Days was there. And he saw a vision of heaven. And it says that there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. And this dominion was an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. What was it that John needed to see on the Isle of Patmos? What was it that John was struggling with? What is it that John was isolated? <laughs> hey, you heard that lately? <laughs> He was separated from his family. He was separated from his friends. Uh, that's been kind of an experience we've had lately, isn't it? 
We've been separated from very friends by the decree of the government and by, by our fear of this virus. But, but in this time of quarantine, in this time of separation, what was it that brought John comfort? Well, he was there in the, Lord's, in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And we're told that, uh, uh, that he looked around <laughs> and he, uh, he saw something. He heard something first and then he saw something. And it says in verse 12 of Revelation chapter 1 that he turned to see the voice. And he said he saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed and with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. And he goes on to tell him, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and of death. And he goes on to show him a pure, amazing vision of what's going on in heaven right now. You know, in times of trouble, we need to keep seeking after that heavenly city. That's, that's what Abraham was doing. That's how Abraham was able to stay faithful. That's why Abraham could, could say that I've been called away from home. There's a city in my past. I'm trying to forget that because it was nothing but paganism. It was nothing of God whatsoever. It was a place of darkness and no light. And I'm living in a land that all around me are, are problems like at Sodom. All around me are, are, are wickedness. You know what it said about the men of Sodom? That was a beautiful place, but it says, but the men of Sodom were, were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Is that not what we see around us? Are we not tempted to the same extremes? We, don't ever get so high and mighty in your own thinking of yourself that you say, well, I could never do that. Well, I'd never... Engage in that kind of sin. There's no sin in this world that you are not apt to commit given the right circumstances and being away from God for a long enough time. I know there are some sins that afflict me that, 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 that don't afflict others. And there are sins out there that afflict some people that don't really seem to bother me. But listen, I could get there fairly easily. Just a step or two down that road. And next thing you know, it's like a snowball. But Abraham could say, there's a city beside me that's a city of wickedness, but it's a strange land because I'm, I'm a stranger in a strange land. You know why he could do that? Because he was looking for another city. He was seeking a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In verse 16, well, let's just go back to, let's go back to verse 13 as we bring this to a close. In talking of Abraham particularly and other heroes of the faith uh, in, in general, the writer here of Hebrews says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They had seen them afar off. You know, it's easy for me to see what's right in front of me. But if I'm going to see something afar off, I've got to look for it. I've got to engage in some effort to try to figure out what that is coming up. You know, in order to see the things of God, the only heavenly vision we have today is what I'm holding in my hand right now, this Holy Scripture. That's all we've got. If we want to see the things of God that are afar off, we need to be looking for them in here. These are they that testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He says, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Just like we've already said, if you'll keep your mind and your, your eyes focused on that which is ahead, you can forget that which is behind. But if you keep your eyes on the thing which is behind you, that city that's behind you, you're out to go back there. But now they desire a better country. That is an heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. I like to think about that city. I don't know about you, but I get really weary in the day in which we live of seeing all the problems and experiencing some of them myself. I struggle with, with daily troubles, uh, sometimes to persecution to a degree, but mostly problems that I brought on myself. Mostly issues that come from me making bad decisions. You know, so many times the troubles of this world are blamed on God. <laughs> you can't blame God with them. 99% of my troubles are brought on by me. But there's also many that are brought on by the fact that we live in this sin-cursed world that is a strange country to us as children of God. But you know what John saw? In chapter 21 of Revelation, he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Let me just stop right here and say, let's don't complicate this. Don't get all twisted up about end times prophetic things that you hear out there. You know what John is saying? John's just saying, hey, there's a time coming when all the troubles of this life are going to end. And there's a city that's waiting on us. There's a city that we're going to dwell in forever. And I got to see it. I got a little vision of it. And praise God because he wrote it down, because he was inspired by God to write it down. We get a little vision of it. And this is what we see. First of all, it's like a bride adorned for her husband. A bride on her wedding day dresses in her very best. She, finds the, she doesn't find some uh, cheap castaway dress and go try to put it on. She'll, she'll dress up even if it's not some flowing wedding dress. She's going to dress in her very best. This city is the very best. It's, a, it's adorned like a bride adorned or it's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. You know, God doesn't dwell with us physically right now. But there's coming a time when we will dwell with Him. We will be in His very presence. And He will dwell with them, for they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. I'm sorry to tell you, there are many times during every day when, when I don't act like God is my God. Sometimes I act like I am my God. Sometimes I act like my, my work is my God. Sometimes I act like something else is my God. But I'll tell you, there's coming a day when God will be my God with no exceptions. Now, I understand he's God regardless, but I just don't always act that way. There'll be a time when I will act that way. I will be completely devoted to him. I won't have to contend with this old man. That city that's behind me will not only be forgotten, it'll be gone. It'll be destroyed. The old man will be no more, and the new man will be all there is, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. 
Oh, how I long for that day. Oh, how many tears I have shed, even recently, over various things, troubles in my life, troubles in your life, troubles in other lives, problems in this world will cause me, and I know it causes you to shed tears from time to time, but God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, <laughs> neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. You know, I, I look forward to that. Many of you know we just experienced the death of my father back in January. And I'll tell you, beloved, that's not, a, that's not a pleasant experience. Many of you have experienced that. You know what it's like, losing a loved one. Do you know, you know <laughs> um, even when the, good, when the news is good from the doctor, even when you go to the doctor, and your spouse or your child or your husband or your wife or your parent or your whatever the relation is, even when you go, you know, we've had scares before. I'm sure you've experienced that. And you go to the doctor and you get good news. And, and what a relief. Wow, that's great. But even when the news is good, it's only fleeting. Because I'll tell you, beloved, when you're, you know, uh, I've had the known people that have had the, the, the tentative diagnosis of cancer. But when the follow-up came, they said, no cancer. Praise God. But you know what? Those people died of something else <laughs> eventually. You are not going to get out of this world alive unless the Lord comes back first. I love getting good news. Don't get me wrong. I, we pray for that. We're going to continue. You tell, you got a problem in your life, you bring it to us as a church. We'll pray for it and we'll rejoice if the Lord grants that petition. But, but understand me, beloved, there will be a time when the Lord will not grant that petition. There will be a time when that disease or that sickness or maybe just something completely out of the blue will overtake you and you will die. There will be death in this life, but there will not be death in that city that's to come there won't be caskets there won't be graves there won't be a cemetery to keep up brother james it'll be all over with death will be no more because jesus christ put death out of business when he died on the cross and that's why when you stand or sit at the side of a loved one and you watch them pass from suffer and then pass from this life you're going to shed tears. I did, and I will again. But it doesn't have to be tears of hopelessness. You see, if you understand what Jesus has done, then you understand that what you see in this life is not the end. In fact, what you're seeking is a city where there is no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. The holy city, New Jerusalem. <laughs> oh my, the best way I know to forget about the city that's behind us and to avoid the city that's beside us is to seek the city that's before us, the New Jerusalem, the holy city. And one day, we will find it. You know why? Not because we're smart, not because God gave us some kind of roadmap to figure out, but because the Lord Jesus Christ paid the debt for every single one of his children. 
The sin debt has been canceled. The sin debt has been paid for. And because of that, you know, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. That's that city he's talking about here. There's a place with many mansions. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm not lying to you, he's saying. I go to prepare a place for you. He didn't say, he's not going up there to remodel heaven. He's not going up there to say, oh, brother Buddy's got one today, but oops, he jumped out, so he no longer has one. I'm going to give it to somebody else, you know. He's not up there doing that. He's not remodeling heaven. He's going by way of the cross. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Oh, what a day that will be. No more troubles, no more sorrows. The day when the city we're seeking here becomes more than just a pursuit out there, that vision of that heavenly city ever before our eyes. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.